ahead and have a seat. Good morning, my name is Casey Cease. I am a member here, along with my family, Stephanie, my wife, and my two daughters, Braylon and Abigail. It's a joy to be here with you uh, this morning and to have the privilege of opening God's word with you. If you have your Bibles handy, uh, we're gonna be in Psalm 16. We're continuing our uh, series through the Psalms, and I, I love this book of songs in, in the Bible as, as we read and are reminded of the need to remember God's character, God's faithfulness, God's promises, God's goodness. And this morning we're going to be reminded through a psalm of David of God's faithful protection of our souls. I don't know about you, but whenever I try to be content, I'm not very good at it. By nature, I'm a bit impatient, I'm a bit driven, uh, I'm a bit American, uh, and I mean that in all the best and critical ways possible, it is what it is. But contentment is not something that is easy to come by on our own, especially in the face of a pandemic, an election, tropical storms and hurricanes, earthquakes, fires, Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, Independents, Fox and CNN, MSNBC, Contentment, oh, I didn't mention the S word, social media. Contentment is, is not easy to come by. Contentment, if you think about it often, if we truly possess it, is a miracle of God. Yet contentment is what many of our souls are truly longing for. And contentment can be found in a person and our God. And so David begins, and, and I want to invite you to, to think of it this way this morning, that this passage is an invitation to contentment. It's an invitation, an opportunity to find true and lasting hope. And it's also an opportunity for true and lasting pleasure. We are pleasure-seeking beings. And many people find the utmost pleasure in safety and security. Now, not everybody among us, amongst the brethren, are, uh, find much security in actual safety. And quite, and quite honestly, some of you will actually go do things that are relatively unsafe to feel safe once again. Adrenaline junkies, a little bit nutso, a little bit crazy, just different like hopping out of a perfectly good airplane with a bag on your back with a parachute for fun and paying to do so, those type of things. But we're all looking to feel safe, feel alive, feel content. And oftentimes we find ourselves looking in places that don't ever provide it for good. So if we wanna summarize this passage this morning, I think a good summary that would be helpful for us to hold on to is this, that God is our safest refuge, is always in control, is our most valued treasure, and is our pleasure forever. And so we'll pick up in verse one of Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Keep me safe. God is what David is calling for. You are the place of safety. In you, I find this source of ultimate security. Keep me safe. We see here that God is truly a refuge. He's a place of safety. He's a place of protection. He is a place where we can be whole again. 
God in and of himself, in his nature, is life-giving. He in his nature is life-preserving. God in his character is redeeming. God is our safest refuge. And we look for it in many places. You see, David is asking the Lord for refuge, safety, protection. And as we'll see, he's doing so for his own best interest because of who God is. The reason for this plea, the reason for this ask is not based on just this is my last ditch effort, but because of who God is, because of the nature of God, because of the promises of God, because God by his nature keeps his promises, David then is able to ask God for this protection, for this safety, and I think as we journey with David throughout scripture, we begin to see that he becomes more and more okay with God's definition of safety than his own. It's pretty common for us humans to go to God for our ideals to be met and projected onto him as his. Amen? We have a temptation to create a God in our own image rather than worship the God in whose image we were created in. That's a common temptation. All of us are susceptible. However, as we'll see, David crying out to God in this song, acknowledging that he needs to be preserved and protected and kept safe, and the only person in place to find that ultimate safety is in God alone. He goes on to say in verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. David declares his trust in the Lord because of who God is. Based on his character, his trust is based on something. It's not just, oh, well, I guess I should trust you, but God is a active, living, powerful, eternal being who's made himself known through creation to the created. And ultimately, as we'll see throughout scripture, through Jesus himself. His trust is in him. Notice, you might notice in your Bible, there's the all caps, Lord, and then a capital L, lowercase O-R-D, Lord. And in the original translation, he breaks from the Yahweh, which is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. He says, to the God who is knowable, who has made himself known, this God, I declare you are the master, you are the sovereign, you are in ultimate control. I'm hoping in you, in your safety, in your protection, because you are the source. And I have no good apart from you. We see that God is in control. We may not know what God is necessarily doing at times, but we can trust that he has not checked out. He hasn't gone on vacation like an irresponsible boss or business owner who doesn't leave any instruction on what you're supposed to do while they're gone. He's actually in charge. He's still in control. He's still aware of what's going on. He's still able to be our safety and protection. He remains faithful because that's who he is. And so in this security, he acknowledges that also he says, I have no good apart from you. James echoes this when he says in James 1, for every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or subject to change. God is not changing. He's ever, he is always perfectly good. He's always perfectly God. He remains constant and faithful. 
And because there's no good apart from him, he is the ultimate treasure. He is the prize. Many people limit themselves by thinking about God's blessing as being stuff and land and property. But as we'll see here, David is declaring that the greatest good, the greatest treasure that we have is actually God himself. You want ultimate value, you want to find ultimate value, you have it in God. He is the ultimate good. Stephanie and I have been going through the Soul Care Institute with Cross Point Ministry, learning how to care for souls of others and walk with people towards deeper understanding of who they are and how they are in light of who God is. One of the things they keep reminding us of is that sin is like a parasite. It latches onto something good. And it either exaggerates that good thing or it diminishes the good thing. But without good, there cannot be presence of sin. And without sin, we don't know the goodness of God compared to our brokenness. And this perversion of something good leads us to going after the pleasure or benefit of the created thing rather than knowing the good of the creator. John Piper puts it this way, all other goods are good because they give him more of God. Every good thing reminds us of the good giver. If you're eating a shaved ice and it tastes really yummy and you're reminded, man, this is so good, a good theological question mom and dad for your boys and girls is if, this is, if this is that good, how much better must God be? And I had a friend one time ask his young daughter, what does God taste like? And she said, lemon. I'm not sure how to root that theologically, but uh, just reminding that there's nothing good apart from God and every good, and every good thing we have is a reflection of our good God. It illuminates, it glorifies God. And God being the ultimate treasure, the ultimate source of life, the ultimate place of joy and pleasure helps realign our pursuit towards greater and grander things. He goes on to say in verse three, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. David delights in those who love, obey, and pursue God. He finds his hope in those things. It's interesting to me how territorial us believers can be around the souls of other believers. Uh, in the previous place where we were for about eight or nine years ministering, it wasn't overtly competitive, but it was subtly competitive. And quite honestly, a lot of your time in church was navigating the swapping of sheep from different congregations. Meanwhile, there are 30,000 people within a five-mile radius of our congregation that identified as having no real religious belief or faith tradition. But we'd spend so much of our time just navigating how to swap sheep amongst the kingdom. And while that happens and people need to find new church homes, and I, I understand that, there is something pretty interesting where can we not celebrate together the fact that God is at work not only in Redeemer Brenham, but in many other congregations in our community, and we celebrate that together. And we unite together with the common purpose of seeing more and more people come to faith in Jesus. And my prayer is that there would be revival so profound that there would not be enough seats in our congregations for people to gather to worship Jesus. Now we say that, 
But can we join with David reminding because of who God is, because of all that God is doing, we can rejoice when there's vibrant life transformation happening in the kingdom, even if it's not a part of our little micro kingdom. Amen? That can be good news. We can celebrate what's happening here as we commission new elders and as we send people off. We can celebrate as brothers and sisters in Christ are faithfully serving God over in Kenya and other parts of the world. We celebrate. We take delight in that. It is our source of joy. It's, it's a reminder to us and it's an encouragement to us that, hey, we can keep on, that we're not in this alone, that there are others pursuing that great source of joy, of life, of pleasure, of contentment in God. Now that we're glad you're here, I'm not saying now, shoo, go scatter other congregations. And we hope that for many of you, you'll find a home here. But we do rejoice that we understand that people gather at places, Lord willing, where they can serve and they can use their gifts and they can be encouraged to be ministers throughout the week and throughout the months and throughout the years. Not only as they gather as God's people, but as they scatter throughout the week. But you notice in verse four, it says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. I think so often we're after the multiplication of blessings that we end up going after false gods that if we understand the truth of scripture, as we pursue it more and more, it actually leads towards greater sorrow. And he's, he's, he's saying, I will depart from, I will not join in with, I will not be a part of this pursuit of these false gods, this idolatry, because I understand it leads to death. David is acknowledging, and in fact, reminding himself of the brokenness and sorrow of those who pursue false gods. The sorrow of idolatry is founded in the potential short-term relief found in these false gods. People or stuff or things or substances, we look for ultimate contentment or relief or joy or satisfaction in things and people and stuff that was never intended to be our soul's keeper. Yet we entrust our souls over to these things at a great expense and cost. It might provide short-term relief or short-term ecstasy even, but it fails to give us what our long-term lasting needs and in fact compounds the painful brokenness that is a result. And so mind you, when you are looking for your spouse or your children to be the rescuer of your life, to be the sustenance of your soul, to be the source of your joy and honor and glory, you will feel sorrow in multiplying measure. When you place your hope in a politician or a government or any other man-made, God-ordained institution, but place your ultimate hope in these things, your sorrows will be multiplied. I'm not saying we abdicate any responsibility as parents or as spouses or as citizens. What I'm saying is, as believers, our ultimate source of hope, contentment, and pleasure will not be found in those places. Cannot be. Hoping in fallen and broken things to be our source of ultimate meaning and joy is folly. I'm guilty of it. I stand before you guilty of it. It's so easy to 
gauge my contentment on whether or not my family and I are content or financially sound or my marriage is in a good spot or my children are obeying or my friends reach out to me or we hang out and have meaningful conversations or we get to wear masks and be around other humans or we don't have to wear, like, I'm circumstantially joyful. And in the, this invitation of, of we see of David, he's inviting us to find more maturity and contentment in the source of life, in God himself. That's the invitation. That's not easy. I would say it's impossible to do on your own without first acknowledging. That's why he's singing a song to God, reminding himself through declaration of truth who God is. And through that constant reminder, bringing himself back to this place that this is where life is found. The good things remind us of the good one. But a lot of times we allow the good things in our life to remind us we think of how good we think we are. How deserving or undeserving based upon our own idea of merit or worth. And that's a disappointing standard long term. He goes on to say, the Lord, verse five, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. The Lord is my chosen portion. He realigns himself. Believer, if you're here this morning and you're at a place where God has not been your ultimate pursuit, he has not been the lens by which you view this life, if this hasn't been your ultimate hope for life and meaning and purpose and safety and satisfaction, the invitation of our Lord this morning is repent, which means to rethink, realign, and change our direction back. It's an invitation. It's a kindness of God to bring this conviction which only source of alleviation isn't in another false God, but in God himself. That's the great news of our king. He understands the brokenness and folly of our sin and says, no, come back to life. Come back and find it. Come back and experience it. Come back and be taught contentment. Verse six, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David may be talking about his actual land and kingdom, but the, the Hebrew of pleasant places is actually the single word pleasure. And so it may be also beyond that, that the lines have fallen. The boundaries are in place for me in ultimate pleasure. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance shifting just from stuff and land to the source, to God, who is the inheritance, who is the source of pleasure, ultimate pleasure. I bless the Lord. I, I give worth and worship and value to the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. The Lord, friends, is a trusted counselor. His word gives us guidance. His people are our community for guidance. If you're wondering if it's going to be okay, don't look to your neighbor, don't look at the news, don't look at social media and count your likes. Look to God. He has made and kept promises that he intends and will completely keep. And because all of this is true about the Lord, 
We see David saying, because of all these things, he begins by, God, preserve me, because in you I find this refuge, this safety. Well, why am I hoping in that? Because of all these things leading up to here. You are sovereign. You are a treasure. You are absolutely in control. You are my counsel. He says, therefore, verse 9, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Now before we zoom up to the New Testament like us followers of Jesus like to do, because this is also quoted in the New Testament. David in this moment is placing his hope on God for his eternal hope of fellowship with God based upon God's character and promises. Hoping and aligning himself with God. Although David knew he would die and end up in the grave, that one from his line would die but not see his body face corruption but earn the eternal everlasting reward. And that descendant is Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, we see Peter in his big Pentecost sermon in verse 25. He says, for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known for me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would, not, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh seek corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses." Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This power of God, these promises of God have been kept and secure and fulfilled and given to us through the accomplished work of Messiah Jesus. And through the accomplished work of Messiah Jesus, we have this eternal hope that even though we can't, God can and has and will continue to do. That is why we declare our hope in Jesus. That is why we hope in the eternity um, that we have given to us with God. When, when David talks about not going to the place of Sheol, he is also acknowledging that the paths of those who seek after false gods lead to a place, a place of death. But I will stay within the portion that God has established and the lines and boundaries that I might experience the fullness of life through the one who gives life. And ultimately we see through the fulfillment of this promise in the person of Jesus. And so the greatness that we can read in verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Listen, friends, I know in this day and age, we fight to experience joy, and for many of us, it's elusive often. But I think we have to get over the fact that maybe joy isn't always ecstatic. Maybe joy is the fact that we've gotten up, we've put on our clothes, we've pursued our duties to the best that we can, 
with a longing and a hope for something more because we believe God's promises even a little. And maybe the fact that we're here this morning or watching online and we're needing some joy, I want you to know and trust that even for those of us who are given to melancholy or depression or anxiety or negativity or whatever, that God is that source and he has made himself available through his son Jesus, that even the worst of sinners, even those who have rebelled against God, who have hated God, who have ignored God, who haven't believed in God, by God's grace may turn and trust and hope in Jesus and be accepted by God. And to no believer, even if you're not feeling that joy today, if you can trust that God is faithful, that he keeps his promises, that you have a promise and a hope of a joy-filled eternity with God. May that lift your hopes and your spirits a bit this morning. May we align ourselves with David and understand that at his right hand, in his will, according to his plan, that trials and troubles may come, but they don't last. They don't have the final say. We can declare with David, God, I need you. I need your safety. I need your protection. I need to stay within your bounds. I need your life. I need your help. I need your joy. I need you. And Lord, I believe you. I believe you are who you say you are and that you will do and accomplish all that you say you have done and are doing and will accomplish. And I trust you with whatever little you help me to have, Lord, I trust you. Because we can believe that he is our refuge, that he is absolutely in control, that he is our treasure, and in him we find pleasure. I said at the beginning that to summarize this passage, we could say that God is our safest refuge, he is always in control, is our most valued treasure, and is our pleasure forever. But we can fully say because of the promises of the empty grave of Jesus, we can say that God is our safest refuge, is always in control, is our most valued treasure, and is our pleasure forever through Jesus Christ, the risen King. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, for this time together as your people to worship you. Lord, I pray for any man, woman, or child that's either here this morning or watching online that is yet to place their hope and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that, Lord, you would be kind to them this morning, that they would cry out to you from wherever they are and declare their profound need for you, their need for forgiveness, their need for adoption as sons or daughters to be brought into your family of grace. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are followers of Jesus that are going down the path that leads to multiplying sorrow, that you would arrest their attention and their affection and bring them back. And Lord, that you would help us to remember our ultimate joy, our ultimate good is found in you through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.